Today I'm going to finish up what I began last week. Uh, I guess if you want to take it that I'm going to try to clean up the mess I started last week, that's okay. We're going to continue with Directionally Challenged. Now, some of you are old enough. Uh, others of you may not be old enough. But do you remember those old Polaroid cameras? You know, the ones where you take a picture and, and it would spit out the negative that would develop in front of you? Well, following God is a lot like holding a Polaroid picture that's developing and holding it in your hand. And that's because he has a vision for your future. And while he may not reveal all the details to you at first, as you study his word, as you go before him in prayer, what he snapped of your future will come, will become clear. That's because God has a specific, unique vision and a preferred future for every person in this room. It doesn't matter if you're 9 or 90. Now, you know, I know that we have some folks that are kind of up in years, and you may be thinking that, uh, you know, whatever God's vision was for your life, it's done or it's been fulfilled, and so you're just kind of coasting, or you're thinking, I'm too old to be active to do something for the Lord, or you're just flat lazy. Do I have any just flat lazy people here? You're not old, though. Well, folks, I, listen, it doesn't matter if you, had, if you knew you had seven days to live. Those seven days, you ought to be working for the Lord. God has a plan and a vision for each and every one of our lives. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter what kind of shape we're in. God has something for us to do. So the question for us as believers is, do we have the patience? Do we have the dedication? Do we have the discipline to find out what God's vision is for our remaining days? However many days those are. Proverbs chapter 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And I told you last week, everyone ends up somewhere, but a few people are going to end up somewhere on purpose. And that's because, according to Psalms 139, God has written the days of your life in his book before any one of them was ever lived. And you were wonderfully made, Why? For a kingdom purpose, and if you will seek God to discover his vision for your life, you will be on the right page at the right time living a fulfilled and glory-filled life. Now, this isn't a name it and claim it sermon because that doesn't mean there's not going to be problems. <laughs> yes, there's going to be problems, but God will even use your problems to shape the destiny of your life. Now, there are different ways in which God re will reveal his vision for you. God revealed Nehemiah's unique vision through a burden that wouldn't go away. As we're going to see in a little while, he revealed it to Joseph through a dream. He revealed it to Moses through an audible voice. And the fact is, the word of God says, if you seek him, you will find him. And when you find him, that means that he has a tailor-made vision just for you. Amen. And so when you, when you begin to discover God's vision for your life, two things are going to begin to happen. First of all, God will begin working in you. 
Philippians chapter 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure, or, in other words, for his purpose. In the book of Genesis, Joseph had an amazing dream from the Lord. And I imagine he woke up the next morning and he was walking on spiritual cloud nine. But then he goes and he tells his brother about his dream from God. And his highest high goes to his lowest low. Because not only do they mock him and betray him, they beat him, they throw him in a pit, and then he is sold into slavery and winds up a long way from home in Egypt. But because the guy had favor from God, Joseph rises as a slave to managing the financial affairs of one of the wealthiest men in all of Egypt. And so now Joseph has gone from the bottom to the top. Is anyone's life in here a spiritual roller coaster? Well, it was for Joseph. Dream from God, high point. Sold into slavery, low point. Business manager for a rich Egyptian, high point. Rich Egyptian's hot wife falsely accuses Joseph and he's thrown into prison, low point. And I would imagine somewhere along this journey, Joseph was saying to God, God, what is going on? From the moment I went public with my dream, which, by the way, you gave me, I have been beaten, I have been betrayed, I have been a slave, I have been thrown in prison. I mean, is this a wonderful plan that you have for my life? Now, I'm sure none of you guys have ever been there, but um, you've, you've never said things like that. Because your life is all hunky-dory without any highs and lows in it, right? But you see, God understands. He experienced everything you've experienced. He's felt everything that you've felt. And just like he created you to be a solution to a kingdom problem, God created Joseph to be a solution to a kingdom problem in his day. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking God isn't behind the scenes working on your behalf. Think of it this way. Imagine a huge puzzle on the table of life. And in the middle of the puzzle, there's a piece missing. Now, in order for you to be the solution to that missing piece, God has to mold you and shape you to fit in that empty space. You see, he has to mold the solution first, and then it will fit in the problem. And God was molding Joseph in slavery and in prison to prepare him for his God-ordained destiny. Now, I'm sure that moment, the moment that Joseph gave his brothers his God-given dream that they were going to bow down to him, Joseph never thought that there was any need for a beating or a betrayal or a pit or a prison. He didn't think any of that was necessary. I'm sure prison ministry never crossed his mind. Hey, folks, come on. That was funny. Now, I promise this will, this will go down a whole lot better if you'll get involved. If you just sit there, it's going to be long and boring. But if you'll get involved and at least try, um, you know, I think, from the Lord, that there's a couple of high points in here that you might actually enjoy, okay? 
You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm saying, Lord, don't let me say that. God, please don't let me say that. Please don't. Anyway. Listen to me. God will send you where you don't want to go so that you can learn what you thought you already knew. Do you think if you are a quarterback and you think you know all about it, if you went and studied under Tom Brady, you might learn a few tricks? You think you know how to cook, but if you got to study under Julia Childs, do you think she might have a few tricks that she could show you? God will send you where you don't want to go so that you can learn what you thought you already knew. And when you try to discover God's vision, God will work in you so that the solution can match the problem before the problem ever reaches its peak. Now, the second thing God begins to do in the search for your vision is he begins to work through you. First, he works in you. Next, he'll work through you. And what Joseph saw as a setback, God saw as a divine setup. God allowed Joseph to go to prison in order to give him access to the palace. You see, what Joseph desired the least, he actually needed the most. And oftentimes, God does what you don't want him to do because what you want the least is what you need the most. In order for the potter to mold the clay into the solution to the problem that God created you to solve before you were ever born. And so when your current situation is looking strangely different than what you think God's vision is for your life, remember that God may be simply cooking up a solution to your problem so that you can not so that He can not only work in you, but He can also work through you. And so finally, Joseph understood that. Because you get to Genesis chapter 50, verse number 20, and Joseph is now second in command of all of Egypt, and his brothers come to him, just like the dream said, and they bowed down. And Joseph said, what you did, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. He said, my God is so big that he took your sin and he used it for his kingdom's purpose. Now, I'm sure in the middle of all this, Joseph thought that this really must have not been a dream from God at all. When he was sitting in that prison cell, he probably thought that his dream was just too much pizza and that God had forgotten all about him. And friend, you may think that God has forgotten where you are. But I want you to know maybe, maybe, perhaps you are in the very place that God wants you to be because it's in this moment of prison that God is forging in you the necessary tools in order for you to accomplish the very purpose you were created for. And so he takes what others have meant for evil. He takes your own mistakes your own shortcomings, the injustices of this life, and he takes him and turns him around for your kingdom purpose. So let me take a few minutes and try to apply this. And hopefully I'll do a better job than I did explaining it based on your response. Back in 2004, during the Summer Olympics, there was this guy, Matthew Emmons, 
And he was the American participant in the 50-meter three-position rifle shot, that event. The three-position rifle shot. Anyone know what that is? Well, someone does come explain it to me after church. I have no idea. But I know that it was an Olympic event, and it has to do with a rifle. Now, Matthew was so far ahead of the rest of the field that all he had to do on his final shot was hit somewhere on the target, anywhere on the target, and he would win the gold medal. So he aimed, he took a deep breath, he slowed his heart rate, he pulled the trigger, and the bullet went right through the middle of the bullseye. The crowd cheered. The only problem was, in that gold medal moment, Matthew shot the right bullet, but he hit the wrong target. There was a designated target he was supposed to shoot at, and he shot at the wrong target. And he dropped from a gold medal to no medal at all. Now, folks, we need to realize that one day, every one of us is going to stand before a judge so much greater than an Olympic judge. And we're going to give an account of every moment of our lives, our words, our thoughts, our actions. And how tragic would it be that we allowed our choices, our words, our wasted moments to cause us to hit the wrong target? Now, if you waste tomorrow, okay, no big deal. You can come back from that. I mean, you can even waste a few days floundering, and it may not be that big a deal. But here's the thing, friend. If you've lived any time at all, you realize that weeks turn into months and months into years, and years add up to a lifetime. And there are people who wind up at the end of their life with regret because they didn't squeeze every ounce of potential that they had out of their life. What a shame to shoot the bullet of life, the very gift from God above, and hit the wrong target because you didn't stop long enough to take the time to find out what your purpose on this earth is. God had a plan for you since before you were born. And our job is to find out what that plan is. Now, some of you may say, hey, Mike, that sounds good. I like the concept. That's great. So how do I go about it? How do I find God's plan for my life? Well, of course, through prayer and study of God's Word. But there's also some other, other hints that you can, you can glean to to help you discover that. And, and one of those is by discovering your core values. Now, as human beings, we all have commonly held values, the need for security, the need for affection, the need to eat. Obviously, some of us have more of that need than others. But then there are other values that we have as believers in Christ. Humility, compassion, patience, personal holiness. But you see, beyond that, there are some unique values that God has placed inside of you when he placed you in your mother's womb. Look at King David. He says in Psalms 27.4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You see, David valued intimacy with God. And so people are defined by what they value. Mother Teresa, compassion. Billy Graham, spreading the gospel. Ryan Seacrest, American Idol. 
How many watch American Idol? How many of you think that our youth pastor, Kyle, looks just like Ryan Seacrest? Really, it's him. He just flies back and forth out to L.A. to shoot the show each week. But what people value defines who they are. And what you value will define who you are. The question is, how do you uncover your values? Well, think about these questions with me. First question is, what priorities will make you turn down other highly attractive offers, other good deals, because you know what for you is indispensable? What's that thing that you won't budge on? Here's another question. What really angers you? Now, I'm not talking about the person leaving their blinker on as they're driving down Penn. That's a pet peeve. But I'm talking about what makes you mad on God's behalf. Do you realize Jesus got angry? And each time it revealed one of his values. Remember when he walked into the temple and saw the money changers? He said the temple had become a den of thieves, and he ran the money changers out with a whip because he was angry with righteous indignation. Well, it revealed something about him. It revealed that he valued the sanctity of worship and the house of worship. Then in Matthew 23, we see Jesus so angry with the hypocrisy of the religious Jews that he called them out publicly. He called them hypocrites seven times, plus a great big helping of blind guides and vipers. Tells me that Jesus values integrity. And I'll let you in on a little insight of me, what makes me angry. It's when the church it gets so focused on the church and we forget why God put us on this earth. When people get so focused on having it their way with a Burger King experience and wanting their own selfish desires and the church becomes about we four and no more instead of about seeking and saving lost people. Jesus didn't die on the cross to coddle insiders. That's why Glenn wants you to invite somebody to come in church and sit with you. Jesus died so that he could reach sinners, and that's what the church needs to be all about. The only decision that will matter in eternity are the ones concerning the lost and not what donuts we serve. What makes you angry reveals a value. Another question you need to ask yourself is what makes you happy? What fulfills you? For Starla, it's buying shoes. We all know that if we've been here any length of time at all. Well, in John 3.16, we see that God took his most valuable treasure in heaven and he gave it for his greatest core value, which was you and me. God sacrificed joyfully out of the best he had, and he bankrupted heaven in order to pay the price so that I didn't have to live without him through eternity. What a comfort for me to discover that I am God's core value. And he gave his only son so that I can have eternal life, and he receives joy from it because the Scripture says that every time a soul is saved from a devil's hell, heaven rejoices over that reality. What makes God happy? God gets happy when you come to know him as your eternal Savior. God's greatest core value is you. 
So what makes you happy and mad reveals who you are and your values. But we need to stop and take inventory of our life. Do we, do we actually defend what we say we value? Is there integrity in what I say my values are? If I say I have intimacy with God, but yet I don't read, read my Bible and I don't pray, then what I say is not really a value, is it? If you say that you value your walk with Christ, but your thoughts and your choices don't match up with what Jesus said that relationship should look like, and you're not reaching out to obtain a greater degree of holiness in your life, then what you say is misaligned with what you're actually doing. See, folks, we have to be sure that we practice what we preach. We need to make sure that we have integrity because here's the thing. The difference between the truth you know and the truth you live equals the pain that you experience. The difference between the truth you know and the truth that you live equal the pain that you experience. See, when there's misalignment in what you say you value and what you actually do value, that equals the dissatisfaction you experience in life. That's why you feel guilty when you say one thing but do something else. The difference between the truth you know and the truth that you live equal the pain that you experience. And so... To get a better picture of God's plan for you, you need to understand that along with, with your core values, God has also placed spiritual gifts in you. Romans chapter 12, 6 says we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Now everyone loves getting presents, but you have to understand there's something different about getting the gifts that God gives you and the gifts that Santa Claus gives. You see, the gifts from Santa are for you, but the gifts from God, well, they're always for other people. God's gift in you equips you for your gift to the world. Let me show you what I mean. There was a young lady named Tara who's wearing a brand new summer white dress. And so Tara is, is hanging out with seven of her friends and they're sitting around a table eating cherry pie. Well, she reaches for a napkin and somehow the cherry pie falls right on her lap, staining her brand new white dress. Now, Brittany, friend number one, takes charge. She reels off orders, organizing an efficient cleanup crew. Well, Brittany has the gift of administration. Sarah, the second friend, immediately takes, takes over, and she makes an offer to Tara. She says, honey, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll buy you another piece of pie. Matter of fact, I'll buy another piece of cherry pie for anyone who wants it. Well, Sarah has the gift of giving. Now, Paul leans back in her chair and says, I could have told you this was going to happen. I knew it. Well, Paula has the gift of prophecy. Not sensitivity, mind you, because prophets are usually not merciful people. And poor Monique. Poor thing, she's already burst into tears. Not because her pie or her dress was ruined, but she burst into tears on behalf of Tara, her friend. Her friend. 
So Monique has the gift of mercy. Now there's a set of twins sitting at the table, and the younger twin, Ella, shocks everyone when she just breaks out laughing. And she takes her pie and dumps it in her own lap. Now, of course, she has a raggedy pair of jeans on and not a brand-new white summer dress, but anyway, she dumps her pie. And now the focus is off Tara in the white summer dress that has a cherry stain on it, and it's on her. And Ella feels better because her pie-stained friend feels better. Well, Ella has a gift of encouragement. Now, Ella's twin sister, who's older, by the, by the way, matter of fact, she's the oldest one at the table, Emma says, well, there's a better way to eat pie. Matter of fact, there are seven steps to eating pie. And she goes through step one through seven to tell you how you should eat pie. Well, Emma has a gift of teaching. And finally, while all the conversation was going on, Sophie, friend number seven, has already completed the task of cleaning up without being asked. You see, Sophie is a born servant with a gift of helps. One event, seven people, and they all respond in different ways. None better than the other, but that's the way they were created by their creator. And probably if you think about it, one of those responses is more natural to you than all the others because that's the way God made you. 1 Peter 10 410 says, based on the gift each one of us has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. You see, the reality is the gifts and the values that are in you came from God. And they're there simply, they're there, and you simply have to discover them. Now, we're all familiar with, chapter, with Romans chapter 8, verse 28, probably. And that's the scripture that says, All things work together for good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know, preachers love to quote uh, that scripture when people are going through difficult times and things like that. And they'll point out that all things mean everything. The good, the joyful, but also the bad and the painful. Well, the point I want to try to get across is, since God uses all things, that means that your past could be the key that unlocks your future. Because remember, we're trying to find out what God's plan is for our life. And I'm sure some of you have probably asked, like Joseph did, God, what are you doing? This isn't what I had in mind for my life. When I signed up for this, the pain, the betrayal, the injustice, why is all this happening to me? But yet from God's point of view, he was molding a solution, but yet, God, but jo, but yet Joseph didn't understand that there was purpose in the middle of his pain. Purpose in the middle of his pain. Listen, friend, God does not waste pain. And he redeems our suffering. And your pain has a purpose, and even the negative experiences of your past could be the key that will help unlock your future. David was a shepherd boy tending his father's sheep when a bear decided he was going to show up for lunch. Well, I guarantee you David wasn't sitting, sitting there saying, Oh, good gracious God above, 
Here cometh a testing. If I prevail, grant me the privilege of engaging a lion. I promise you, he didn't appreciate in the moment of that struggle what God was doing. And none of us do. None of us can see the current crisis, the current diagnosis, the current financial situation in any way could be used for the glory of God. But the verse says all things. And that means God puts values, gifts, and a preferred future inside of you knowing that you are going to be a solution to a kingdom problem. And so in his sovereignty, God's grace will even use your struggle. He'll even use your pain. He'll even use your circumstance as the forging element so that you can be the arrow that will hit the mark of his plan for your life. God doesn't waste your pain. So when David was wrestling with the lion and the bear, he had no idea that God was using those challenges and those circumstances. But you see, when David stood before King Saul and Saul asked, why should I let a boy go out and fight a giant? David said, because God brought a bear in my life. I killed the bear. God brought a lion in my life. I defeated the lion. And my same God will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. God will use your past to unlock your future. And you're not going to appreciate it while it's going on. The miscarriage, the depression, the bankruptcy, that rebellious child, the unanswered prayer, the abandonment. None of those are fun. But you see, God said all things. And that includes the good things, the not so good things, and even the truly awful things. God has promised to use all of them for good You see, when David faced the challenge, he looked back and he saw the college of his past blended with his gifts and his values. And all of a sudden, it all began to make sense. He said, I'm underage and I'm ill-equipped, but I am God's man to take down the giant everyone else is afraid of. And it came together in his God-given moment. And just like you, David was born to be a solution to a kingdom. One time, there was a little bird that was flying south for the winter. It began to rain, and, and the rain began to freeze on its little wings. And, and before long, the bird crashed to the ground, shivering and encased in ice. And as you can imagine, the bird thought this was the end. Well, to make matters worse, a cow wandered over and dropped a pile of manure on top of the bird. And the bird panicked. The bird said, now, not only am I going to freeze to death, but I'm going to freeze to death covered in this stinking manure. But, 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 but listen to this. The amazing grace of God. But slowly, the warmth of the stinking manure caused the bird to begin to thaw out. And he began to flutter his newly freed wings, and he began to chirp with joy. Isn't that amazing what God will do? And if the story ended there, it would be just fantastic. But the story does not end there because when a nearby cat 
heard the chirping. He ran over, dug the bird out, and ate the bird. You say, Mike, that's the most awful negative story I've ever heard in my life. I agree, but doesn't it seem like life is that way sometimes? You are flying around minding your own business, and the moment you think you're emerging from one crisis, something falls out of the sky that you couldn't control. Just the time you have your finances just right, there's an unplanned sickness, or there's a car emergency that robs you of all you've been saving. Life just seems to happen that way. But I have to trust God when I'm tumbling in the clothes dryer of life that when he said all things, he even meant the bad things. He even meant the piles of manure. And if we will trust him, he will turn the bad times into blessings. Now, before you're too hard on me about the terrible bird story, I want to point out that there's some biblical lessons in that story that we can all take away from it. Number one, everyone who drops manure on you is not your enemy. God chastens those who he loves. Number two, not everyone who digs you out of the manure is your friend. Be careful when all men speak well of you. And number three, when you're in manure, keep your mouth shut. Why? Why do you keep your mouth shut when you're in manure? Because even a fool is considered wise when he's silent. Starla told me not to tell that story. She said, don't. Yeah, just leave that out. And from, from looking at the clock, I should have. Let me, let me finish up. But friend, I want you to know, seriously, my heart hurts for people who have not understood the value of their pain. But we all need to understand today that the aspect of our life that, that we thought invalidated us may be our degree to promotion. Joseph never realized going to prison was the way to the palace. But in God's eternal view of your life, he sees things differently than the way you do. And God can take the personal tragedy in your life, the depression, the bankruptcy, the rebellious child, and he can make things right. Now, maybe these things happen by your own choices. Maybe they happen by the evil intent of other people. Maybe they happen because life is simply unfair. But we need to realize that when God said all things work for his vision in your life because his sovereignty and grace is so powerful that what you thought was a disqualifier can make you ready for what he actually called you to be. And you need to realize that what you thought was a prison was actually a back door to take you to the palace. And what the enemy meant for evil, God intends to 